welcome to episode 231 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So on the podcast this week, we're going to chat a little bit about new developments in additive fabrication, or uh, also called 3D printing. Uh, I was lucky enough to attend the Develop 3D Live conference at my alma mater, Boston University, uh, which happened last week. And I got to see uh, some of the new technology coming onto the market for metal printing on the desktop. Um, and so that's, you know, coming to market right now. And that's a pretty significant change uh, from from uh, past uh, metal additive fabrication. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the history of it. I mean, it's it's been about 30 years where you could construct metal parts using additive fabrication, but it was it was kind of a dangerous process that needed to be in a highly controlled industrial environment. And so because it was dangerous, that was sort of a limiting factor when it came to, you know, bringing one of these into, you know, into a, uh, you know, a design office or, or what have you. So, um, uh, for instance, you, this, these systems used a, a metal powder, which uh, operators could inhale, and, you know, that would be pretty damaging. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, John. No. And then, uh, additionally, the, these powders are explosive. So, <laughs> so between those two things, you definitely don't want that in in your uh, lungs. In, yes, or or in your <laughs> shop, really. But these these newer technologies use um, a slightly different system. Uh, the way they work is they have uh, plastic encapsulated powders. Uh, so essentially, they work similar to the the. Um, uh, 3D printers that you would see using using a plastic, so they build up an object, and and the 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 metal powder is encased in this in this plastic. And what you do is, after it prints it out, you wash it in a bath, which dissolves all the plastic away, and you're left with just the metal, which is then more or less baked um, in this uh, um, furnace called a sintering furnace, mm -hmm. and and it's just like, you know, a little easy bake oven, right? And makes your, makes your metal part. But it's very cool because, you know, I got to uh, see a live demo uh, of, of one of these systems. Um, and, and it essentially, it feels like clay almost, when, you know, after it's, uh, after it's been, been washed. And, and you can sort of very easily sand off uh, the edges. You can see like the little the little lines from building up the 3D print, but those can be easily sanded off. And once you bake it, it's it's a solid metal part. I mean, this is, um, you know, like a part that's been machined. It's 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 pretty amazing because uh, during this this heating and curing process, all all the metal sort of melts together, and and you know, it's it's like uh, probably not as strong as some of the other industrial processes, but but uh, very strong nonetheless. So, so why is this so exciting? You know, what's, what's so special about that? Well, when you're talking about additive fabrication, you're talking about taking digital, um, uh, digital designs, and then you're, you're creating these, these physical objects. So digital designs that are, that are human or even 
algorithmically generated, right? You can come up with forms that you would never think to do with another process. For instance, uh, one of the demos at, uh, at the conference used um, sort of a matrixed um, uh, internal uh, a piece that um, the, the part was for, I, I think, a, a a part for a motorcycle, and normally that would be a solid piece. But what they have is this, this with, within the piece, they have this very complex matrix that, that makes it just as strong, but there's a ton of air in there now, right? So it's all these crisscrossing pieces that, you know, if, if you cut open the part, you can see that, you know, the part is no, no longer solid. It's 50% air, but it's constructed in such a way uh, that it maintains its strength, but it weighs half as much. I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that computers can do that, uh, you know, a CAD advanced CAD type system can do mm-hmm. um, that, that you would never think to do otherwise. It would be too complicated uh, to manufacture any other way. In a so, more traditional process. Correct. So, uh, so, so that's just, you know, some of the, uh, the possibilities that come along with these metal um, uh, uh, 3D printers. Um, and, and I got to say, I mean, the footprint for these things is, is really small, Dirk. I mean, it's, it's as big as, you know, the old school laser printers. If, if you remember those in the, in the office, um, those things were sort of chunky and, and, and took up, I don't know, uh, a couple square feet of, of, of desk space. I mean, that's it. I mean, some of the larger systems, of course, are slightly taller, et cetera, but, but this is, um, Printing metal parts with some 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 minor post processing, uh, you you can you can have these these custom metal parts for your prototype or or what have you, and uh, you know some some of the demos were even showing how you can scale these. So if you start off with uh, you know a couple of these machines. Uh, you can connect them together using a, a print queuing system, which reminds me very much of, uh, you know, my days when, you know, I, I used to do more printing. Um, so they can have a queuing system that, that, that sends the information to uh, a group of these printers. And if, if one print fails, it just, you know, moves it to the next, the next printer. So, so essentially, you have the possibility of, of some level of scale as well with these printers. Uh, at least the advanced ones. So, so as I, I, I was looking at these, you know, I couldn't help but think about all our conversations around uh, compressing time and space with smartware, yeah. uh, which is which is really uh, what it's all about. So, so there's no longer this uh, long wait for your supply chain. You know, in theory, yeah. you, you can now have parts. Uh, to either fix, uh, you know, a broken machine or, you know, to generate some some object uh, either at a service bureau or, you know, maybe even someday at, at your home. Uh, so so I was it, it was really exciting to see these things. And, and you can tell the, the CEOs who are giving these presentations are pretty excited as well. Yeah, um, because nothing nothing like this has ever really hit the market before. And even the the you know, the system's there may, may be 120 grand, which sounds like a lot, but if you think about how much money is spent on like photocopiers, right. you realize that that this is not a lot of money when you're talking about, um, you know, office machinery. Yeah, and and it's very, I mean, very B two B and also very niche, right? There aren't a, a whole lot of diverse businesses that would need on demand metal fabrication of stuff, right? Yeah, that's. Uh, 
that that's true. It, it's um, it's it's funny though because the um, once you start using your, your imagination about around the you know the possibilities for things as we start thinking differently about our uh, supply chains and and these these machines get get incorporated into it. I mean, today it it is very niche, but but uh, you know as the technology improves, um, I could see everything from you know small uh, uh, mechanic shop to you know the uh, uh, aforementioned you know uh, uh, copier uh, shops to to even you know folks who who are willing to do a little DIY work at home, uh, all taking advantage of this. Um, and it, it's interesting because there's there's a certain uh, I mean the maker movement really uh, encapsulate this encapsulates this well. There's there's a desire to make things to to build things, and we've become very reliant on uh, sort of overseas channels for delivering cheap goods to our door. So so that's not quite as prevalent in in today's culture. But I mean. Uh, you know, like my grandparents' generation, they they were making <laughs> just about everything. I could see I could see uh, a big change in the relationship between consumerism and sort of the the uh, burgeoning maker culture. Talk more about that on the consumer side, because I'm first of all, it's interesting, it's cool these advances, but I'm struggling to see what their application would be in terms of the, uh, for the consumer. Um, I, I see it in the supply chain, in the big picture, but in the context of why would I as a consumer want this machine sitting in my house that fabricates metal, right? We've got machines now that fabricate pages of, of print. Um, we don't have many that fabricate plastic, although some people do it for fun. But why would the consumer want a machine that fabricates metal in their house? Yeah, you know, it, it, it might be at your house. It might be at your library, for instance. Like, I mean, I'm always ordering, like, I have an old dishwasher, for instance. Yeah. And these parts rust out on me, right? And they're easy to snap out and snap in. That's a good example, though. I would want the repairman to just show up with the part. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're willing to uh, uh, pay for the for the hourly time for the service, sure. You're saying you would D DIY it? Uh, yeah, DIY I mean, I... I it, wait, do it yourself DIY do it, yeah, it? Yeah, do it yourself. Yeah. I mean, I already order the parts online. Um, uh, you know, it would be very cool if I could just get a digital file and it would print out, you know, in my basement printer. Um, so, so that's an example. Or, you know, I have a pool, right? So there's all sorts of weird parts for pools, mostly plastic. Um, but there, there's all kinds of weird stuff that I order off of Amazon and stuff that I, that I uh, sort of jerry-rig because, you know, uh, uh, having a pool basically makes you a, a, a unskilled plumber, right? So you immediately need these, these wackadoo parts. So this isn't in the kitchen. This is in the garage next to your toolbox, basically. Could be. Like, yeah. that's, that's how it would impact consumers. Right. And, 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 and I suppose, I mean, there's... Uh, I've got all sorts of, um, you know, everything from picture hangers to nuts and bolts uh, to drill bits to just just things where I never know where they are. And sometimes you really need, you know, something like I I don't know if uh, the, so. So, for instance, I know that that coming down the road. Um, you can print titanium, right? So if if I needed a drill bit to do do like you know to 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 drill a, a hole for a a bolt or something uh, in my door, right? Rather than go out to the to the um, uh, 
you know, to the hardware store, I, I might print a titanium, you know, saw drill bit uh, that pops on the front of my uh, of my drill. It's it's sort of all of the things that you can imagine. So so sometimes when I'm shopping on Amazon, I'm just like, what if do they have this this kind of LED light bulb? And I'll just search on this this sort of this strange part, and and sometimes I find it. So what if you can you can do that, but it's just sort of you can imagine something and say, what if there's a CAD design for a a really long drill bit that you know has like some some uh, uh, strange function right that I really need right now. Yeah. And then you know within a few hours I can have that and and go go back to work instead of having to wait. For all these things, yeah. So, so it makes all that possible. Search and wait. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 what's funny is, I mean, this this is just sort of the beginning. So I'm not saying all these libraries exist. I know some of these things exist for for the um, for the CAD libraries for plastic parts, um, and that's what I was talking about a little bit too about um, the maker culture and. Uh, you know, like my grandmother would would just sew clothes. Like she she had that skill, um, and but she would have to get the materials to make dresses and and things like that. And there was an oral tradition that passed down over generations that imbued her with the ability to to do that craft. Right, and so so I see some analogs there. Just you know, she was able to find her materials. The the materials that we need to keep some of our modern appliances going are not you know it's not readily apparent, and you know some of them are very customized and it sort of returns some power to the to the to the the folks uh, uh, who can, who can do that sort of work, and and that's just you know sort of the first step, right? Um, that's not uh, the totality of it. That's just what I can think of, you know, off the top of my head and, you know, sort of personal. But um, there, there's all sorts of possibilities there. Um, and, and my hope is, I mean, as we see this in the green movement too, just, you know, trying to reuse things and trying not to dump everything out. You know, I, I think this, this uh, um, supplements that, that attitude as well, you know, reuse rather, rather than waste. Yeah, so you know you've been learning a lot about this, and are obviously very enthusiastic about it. So I'll, I'm going to treat you like an expert, and you might say, Dirk, I don't have a freaking clue, and that's fine. All right. Um, to me, the the this this becoming practical at a consumer level, part of it is multiple materials in a machine. So not a metal machine here, a plastic machine here, a something else machine there. Currently, are there machines that are providing both metal and plastic multiple, or is it just like here's my plastic machine, here's my metal machine? Yeah, I th I think they're uh, you know strictly one or the other. I mean, the metals there there are you know sort of uh, maybe maybe it takes you know a couple minutes to switch between metals. So you could do copper or you could do steel. You know, in the future you're going to be able to do um, uh, titanium, um, and, you know, and other other metals. So so there's a wide array of of metal parts. Uh, the the plastics uh, there's a much broader array of machines available for the plastics, but so far as I know, there's no um, uh, plastic and metal machine, uh, which is not to say that that's not coming. I could see that being a good product idea. Well, I think but, it has to at the consumer level because you are not going to have all the, this all these different expensive high tech machines for different substrates, right? It just it's you may or some some geek on the fringes may but it's not going to become more of a mass product at that point. There needs to be one magic box, and that magic box needs to 
deal with different substrates um, on its own. It's like, you know, there's not a printer for black and yellow and magenta and blue. You know, it's all together in one. And that's really what it's going to need to reach the consumer level, which it sounds like might be decades instead of years away, maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that um, uh, I don't think it's that far away. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, I've seen over the past couple of years, is just this uptick in, in interest in additive fabrication across all levels, whether it's from construction to, um, you know, hobbyists. Um, uh, you know, printing out things, uh, you know, to, to even kids like using using 3D printing systems. So so I do think there's there's some some momentum here um, for for 3D printing that's, you know, at the consumer level. It's just mostly, you know, kind of toys, fun things and, and or, you know, artwork and things like that. Um, less of these. Uh, uh, machines are, you know, printing apart for your dishwasher. Yeah, it's less right practical. Now. It's more novelty at this point. Right. It, so, so I think what's significant about this, you know, stepping back a little bit uh, to understand that, that, that this is an emerging technology uh, that, is, that is rapidly advancing and that, and that designers are, are really going to be challenged to uh, understand the flow between digital and physical, and and that's what we've talked about in the past with smartware. This this idea that there's less of a line between digital and physical. Whether you're talking yeah. about sensors being everywhere, right? So your information in the physical world is getting digitized, and in this case, the opposite. You have these digital objects, objects that you know. Um, maybe are generated by a computer, maybe generated by some genius imagination, right? But they're digital objects. These are becoming physical. The, there's these blurred boundaries now, um, and it's happening. You know, it's happening relatively quickly um, on multiple fronts. And you know, it's it, to me, um, all of these emerging technologies converging. Whether you're talking about the Internet of Things. Uh, 3D printing, uh, you know, I, I, we talk about the biological side of things all the all the time with you know neuroscience and and genomics. Yeah, there's there's this uh, you know convergence of emerging technologies coming together uh, that you know separately are amazing, but you know together are are that much more powerful. Uh, so so I'm always impressed with the things that, you know, I saw on TV as a kid, you know, like watching Star Trek, the next generation, the, the replicator, right? Um, so this replicator can't make me, you know, Earl Grey hot, like, you know, uh, Captain Picard had, you know, spoke to his uh, computer and immediately had a cup of hot tea. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting to approach that with certain types of materials and certain types of, um, of objects. I actually think a hot tea replicator in the house is sooner coming than a, a metal uh, fabricator in the house. Um, yeah, well, ironically, I, I was just thinking today about it would be nice to replicate fried chicken in the house, and I think that's going to take a longer time. Probably. A, a run to KFC uh, might be a little bit quicker, but um, uh, we'll look forward to that. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you are listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. 
You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 231 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.